Let's pray together. To the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins, we give you all glory, honor, and praise. May the proclamation of your words of restoration build up your people today in the name of Jesus. Just as we began this new series last week, at the end of Revelation with a reorientation hearing of God's Word, let's take a moment again to listen slowly to the Word of God. And since we've heard already this morning from the beginnings of the Gospel of John and 1 John, hear now the beginning of the sequel, the final word from John that we know as Revelation. So let's just take a moment to take time hearing. An apocalypse revealing of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must take place with haste. God made it known by sending his messenger to his servant John, who bore witness, the word of God, and the witness of Jesus Christ, as many things as he could see. Blessed. the one reading, and the ones hearing the words, and keeping the things written in it of the prophecy, for the time is near. From John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from the one who is, and the one who was, and the one coming. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To the one loving us, and having freed us out of our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom, people made holy to His God and Father. To Him is the glory and strength into the ages of the ages. Amen. Everybody look. He comes with the clouds. And every eye... And those who pierced him will see him. And all of the tribes of the land will weep over him. Yes. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. The one who is and the one who was and the one coming, the Almighty.
This is something to hear. This is a form of prayer as listening rather than just prayer as talking to God and expressing our lives to the Lord. This is prayer as listening. We listen. Here's what I mean. When I was at ACU in the early 90s, we had daily chapel at 11 a.m., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every single weekday, we went to chapel, 30 minutes, speaker got long-winded, 45 minutes, but every single day we went to chapel. And I think it was during my generation that it became a lot more common for people to talk during chapel. You know, it, when everybody was singing, you couldn't hear it as much, but other times everybody just kind of started talking. And this is really nothing new. When I was in Monday, one of our old song leaders who had long since retired, Nolan Phillips, he lived right across the street from the church, walked across on Sunday mornings, he wore overalls every Sunday morning, would walk across, sit on the back, back seat, but he loved telling the story about when he was a song leader, like back in the 50s and 60s, there were two women that sat on the back row and just talked the whole worship service, and it drove everybody crazy, but, you know, what are you going to do? So he's leading a song, and it was one of those songs that crescendoed in the chorus and then went and went and went, and then it just stopped. So it was one of those kind of songs that, building and building and building and when it stopped from the back row it echoed all across the whole auditorium but I fry mine in butter <laughs> and he loved telling that story he told that story multiple times so the whole talking during worship or chapel or all that that's nothing new but anyway back to ACU lots of talking during chapel except during the prayers. I don't know if everybody just had at least the social graces to not talk during the prayer, or they just kind of been conditioned, well, we can't talk during prayer. So they wouldn't talk during the prayers. They'd talk every other time. And everybody kind of just got used to it until there was a letter to the editor in the ACU newspaper. And again, this was ACU in the early 90s, people wrote letters to the editor about worship services. So anyway, this letter to the editor, I've never forgotten it. It, it stuck with me whenever I read it, and it had to have been sometime around 90, 91, 92. But it stuck with me, and it has lived with me ever since. Because this letter to the editor talked about how people were talking during chapel at all times except the prayers. And I remember what she said, what she wrote in this letter was about how people were talking during scripture readings. And her question at the end, and she ended the letter to the editor this way, and it was actually quite powerful. She said, she wrote, do we think that what we have to say to God is more important than what God has to say to us? Ooh, that stung. But I've thought about it through the years. 
that you know we, we teach our kids. Hold your hands, bow your heads while we pray. But to receive the word of God as an act of listening, as an act of receiving. And then, of course, it raises the question, well, then what are we listening to hear? I mean, if we're listening for the Lord, what do we hope to hear? And that's where we come in this summer. I think most of us in 2019, right now, are listening for words of reorientation because we are surrounded by disorientation. And that's why we started this series last week with the image of being born into the world and immediately leaving this very comfortable world where everything was provided for us. But at the moment we're born, it is a disorienting act because we go from comfort, perfectly fed, to it's not 98 degrees anymore and it's disorientation. And from day one, we start finding ourselves in the midst of a lot of disorientation. And so when we come to the Word of God, when we come to a worship service like this, even whenever we're just in conversation with each other about our lives with the Lord, most of us are looking for and hoping for some kind of reorientation. And think about, if you grew up going to church as a child, you were given words of orientation, right? Here's something to believe. This is what we believe. Well, what do we think about this, Dad? Well, here's what we believe. Well, Mom, what about this? Here's what we believe. And you're given all these words of orientation. And then you know what happens? You become a teenager. And suddenly, all these words of orientation are cast into question. You have all these, these neat and tidy worlds. Everything that you could possibly want fits wonderfully on a flannel graph. You know, or PowerPoint. But anyway, everything fits. Everything makes sense. And then life hits, and now suddenly it doesn't make sense anymore. And you want it to. Sometimes it doesn't. And I look around the room, and I know a lot of you, you know, pretty personally, and even those of you maybe here for the first time or just a few times, I'm guessing, and it's probably a pretty safe guess, that you have been given the Word of God and life sometimes gets in the way and it challenges your ability to believe and your ability to walk in faith. So most of us come in here and if we are listening intently to the Word of God, most of us are looking for words of reorientation. And again, that's where we come in. What are we listening for? Well, from the passage that we read slowly out of Revelation 1. Did you hear the line, freed us out of our sins? Those are words of reorientation. Those are words that have the power to say, if life has gotten in the way, 
if you have been challenged in your faith, even if you've been challenged by some of your own circumstances, even if you have been challenged by your own choices, it's like, I did this. You know, I made this mess that I am feeling, right? Have you ever felt that before? Here's Jesus. Here's this word of God. I love it. Man, life got in the way. And sometimes life got in the way because I got in my own way. You know, it's kind of one of these, I'm my own worst enemy. You ever feel that? Well, then you are just primed and ready to hear Revelation 1. You talk about prayer as listening, here you go. Freed us out of our sins. You know what it means to be freed? You were in bondage. You were trapped. You couldn't go anywhere. Now you can't. Now you've been set free out of our sins. You know, Cole and I on Tuesday morning flew to New York City for a concert, went to the concert, took a cab back to LaGuardia at midnight, slept on the floor of the terminal until we caught our flight at 5 a.m. And we're back uh, in Houston early Wednesday morning. <laughs> that was an adventure, let me tell you. But Cole and I like doing that kind of stuff. So anyway, 21 pilots. Uh, so anyway, we're sleeping on the floor of LaGuardia because there's nowhere to sit on the outer terminal. I mean, it's just a mess. So we're sleeping on the floor, and every 15 minutes, this really lovely voice comes over the intercom. And I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. It really was a lovely voice. But her voice kept saying, uh, any unattended luggage will be damaged or destroyed. So try to sleep on the floor of an airport where every 15 minutes a woman comes over the intercom and says, any unattended luggage will be damaged or destroyed. Then we go through security at about 4 in the morning, go get a cup of coffee, get on the plane, try to sleep on the plane until we get home. And walking off the plane through the terminal and saying hi to Tom Rushing on the billboard <laughs> and seeing Jennifer and Reese in the car waiting for us was a light at the end of the tunnel. It was like being set free. Because if you ever been on a, you ever been on an international flight? You can't go anywhere. You know, you can you can walk around until the flight attendants tell you go sit down. You can't go anywhere. And then you're set free. So again, listen. Listen to the Word of God in a way that we can receive it. Are you ready? Freed us out of our sins. And you know where he says priests? You know, that word has all kinds of connotations. 
You know that word really means? You know what the word that John uses there is basically holy people, sanctified people, holified. I know that's not a word, but I'm a theologian, so we make up words. Holified people. You have been, by the act of God, by the power of Jesus, the Redeemer, the Restorer, the ultimate reorientation, set free, freed out of our sins, a people made holy. The beauty of the original restoration call, what many of us, if we, even if we didn't grow up in it, have come to at least appreciate, you know, because our particular movement that a lot of us came out of in this church, out of churches of Christ, the disciples of Christ, and the independent Christian church, almost 200 years ago, but right at around 200 years ago, was when a couple of people got the wild idea, let's start over. Let's have this restoration movement where we restore what it was like way back when. And they were idealistic. There's no way that they could have really cast off 1,800 years of Christianity. You know, and we've kind of seen that. They tried, but eh, some stuff still got through, but it was worth the try. And that's the beauty of the original restoration call, is what if we as a group of people said, okay, let's just start over and let's read Scripture and let's say, what would our church look like if we just sat down, started reading the Bible together like out in some field and said, all right, let's, let's be a body of Christ. Forget everything you know. Just forget, forget everything you know and let's start over. You know the comedian Mitch Hedberg? He said one night he was watching an infomercial about slipcovers. And they started by saying, forget everything you know about slipcovers. And then they started talking about slipcovers, but I didn't know what they were talking about. It's that kind of thing. Forget everything you know about church. Forget everything you have ever heard. And start over. What would we look like? I want to believe we're brave enough to, to try it, but that's this a tall order. These people 200 years ago were really brave to say, let's just, let's just start over. But what if we did? Is it possible that over this 200 years, we have gotten too attached to kind of the way that we've always done things? Is it possible that we, from 200 years ago to now, have actually polluted what was originally the intent of Jesus to build a community only around the reorienting redemption of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? When I coached elementary school boys basketball, 
I had some boys who knew the game very well. They knew how to dribble, they knew how to pass, and they knew how to shoot, which is, those are really the three things that you have to know in elementary school boys basketball. Keep dribbling, pass the ball, shoot the ball. And then I had some boys who could not dribble, they could not pass, and so shooting was, we didn't even try, just, just get them to learn how to dribble, maybe pass the ball. And there was one day when I just had the urge to get on my knees and huddle them all around. And I took a basketball in my, the palm of my hands. I said, everybody, come close, come close. Get as close as you can to the basketball. Look at it. So everybody's you know, on our hands and knees, staring at the basketball. And I said, boys, this is a basketball. And we started from there. I don't know what God is up to in 2019 when it comes to the American church. It seems every bit as fragmented as American politics. And it breaks my heart. And I don't know what to do about it. If I did, I'd already be a millionaire selling Christian books on here's what you do. And trust me, being a millionaire selling Christian books just doesn't happen that much. But that one would. So I'm not sure what to do. But here's what I do know. Freed us out of our sins. A people made holy in the presence of the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come is at least a place to start. One of my favorite directors, Michael Mann, said something that, boy, it got to me. The way people get out of slumps is by making some radical choices. It's not by being conventional. But being conventional is safe. It's popular, but the call to restoration, the call to reorientation looks at the things behind us and says, thank you. I mean, it's, it's not being flippant with them. There is a time to say thank you, but there is also a time to dream and to dream with God. Do you know how John received the revelation from Christ? Maybe one dream should include how we view one another. Each one of us is in the process of being forgiven. That whole freed us out of our sins, that feels so good when you receive that for yourself. But you know what's so great about the life of the body of Christ? Is that the woman sitting next to you, the man sitting next to you, the child sitting next to you, whoever is sitting next to you, they get to receive that too. And when we see each other through those lenses of all of us being forgiven, it makes a difference. One more thing that 
I read, and this one I just read a few weeks ago um, because I've been reading a lot out of a writer and thinker named Richard Rohr. And he said this, every time God forgives, it's his way of saying that he would rather be in relationship than be right. You may not agree on everything about God, people, whatever, with the person sitting next to you. But we are in relationship with one another in Christ. God very easily could look at every single one of us and say, you are wrong, so away from me. But God keeps inviting us into relationship with the redemption that we know through Christ and then says, go and do likewise. If we started over with John's teachings or Jesus' teachings out of John's writings, how could people tell when they walked in here that we are the people of Jesus? A lifestyle of loving and letting yourself be loved changes your life. We live in the name of Jesus. Amen.